All right. Well, wait, shit. How do we start? <laughs> that hasn't even been that long. I know. Hi, and welcome to another episode of a documentary podcast. I'm Josh. And I'm Catherine. And today we have a special episode. Um, it's a short one, but we wanted to get it out there. Um, we are talking about the film The Devil and Daniel Johnston. <laughs> Johnson, this is the name of my tape, and it's Hi, How Are You? And I, I was having a nervous breakdown when I recorded it. Try to remember, but my feelings can't He's a skinny little kid, fairly demented, and he said, I just want to give you my tape. And I put it on the tape player, and it just blew my mind. Uh, there's really nothing to even compare it to. It, it goes way beyond Dylan's basement recordings, any other body of work that I can think of. You start off hearing this noise. And eventually, you hear the Beatles. You hear the whole symphony. But it was undeniable that something was dreadfully wrong with him. He was thin as a rail, losing weight. Was completely delusional. He was hospitalized almost immediately. He was obsessed with the devil and Satan. He became so obsessed that it was all he could talk about. This is Daniel Johnston speaking from a mental hospital. They tell me I'm crazy here. Out come the demons. Daniel Johnston just passed away this past week and I have been a fan of his for a very very long time and this film is actually what introduced me to Daniel Johnston um, and, and I'll say as a more of a newcomer someone who's heard of him but hasn't delved into his work this film I would say had a similar effect on me that I was like right after like I need to look at his art listen to his music see what he's made because he's I think such a pure artist. Absolutely. And I think that that's what's so beautiful about this film is um, for me, I just think it captures it so well. But before mm. we jump into it, I do have a film that I watched today um, that I want to suggest people because it kind of reminded me of a Daniel Johnston type. Mm. Um, and it was on Canopy and it's called Will Work for Views. And it's this guy, he's been making these videos that are basically like vlogs and unboxing videos and all of these random like YouTube type videos. And he's been doing them since the 80s. Oh, wow. So like before the YouTube generation. Exactly. And now he has a YouTube 
but he was has been doing it since like yeah again since the 80s and and it's kind of a similar story where i mean it's different in a lot of ways because i don't think that he has nearly the mental issues that daniel johnston had and you know he's not on that level but he's just one of these people that's so prolific and just making things like he has hundred like thousands of videos I think he has like mm-hmm. almost a thousand videos like up on YouTube right now and he's just one of those people that just like creates and creates and creates and just keeps doing things and you know maybe never built a huge audience but it, it's just inspiring when these people just keep making things hmm. sounds good yeah, it was actually really good. And and there's actually a scene where he's wearing a Hi, How Are You shirt, like a Daniel Johnston shirt. <laughs> and that's... It's it's good now knowing where that came from. Yeah, totally. As an, as an outsider. Yeah, I remember um, seeing that shirt back in the day. And, yeah. and then whenever I saw that film being like, oh, that's what that shirt is. Okay. So... Um, I guess that's all I really wanted to say about that. But do you have yeah. any recommendations that are along the same lines of this that were? Um, not in the same sort of realm. So I'll say I'll maybe hold off on my recommendations till the next episode. Okay, cool. Yeah. I have a couple of good ones for that as well. Um, so for this one, let's just jump right into the film. Um, mm-hmm. First, I'll just jump into talking about what the film is. Um so this film is called The Devil and Daniel Johnston. It is a documentary about an artist and musician um, based out of Texas who in the 80s and early 90s just really built up a name for himself with like DIY, like making cassette, you know, music, like making music in his garage on cassette tapes and just like getting out there and hustling and giving everybody his tape and becoming friends with everyone and including like Richard Linklater, one of my favorite filmmakers, first mm-hmm. movies. Um, Daniel Johnson is actually in that movie. Um, and again, he just passed away this last week and there's a really beautiful uh, little story. Richard Linklater put up through the Austin film society that I really suggest mm-hmm. everyone go look at. What's it called? Do you know? Um, I don't, it's just about Daniel Johnston um, and just like what a genuinely sweet, kind person he was. And like, um, and Richard Linklater just reminiscing, like seeing this kid, you know, and including him in his film and (laughs) all that stuff. And talking about how if Daniel Johnston wasn't going through a lot of the stuff that he went through at the time that he made Slacker, that he probably would have been in Slacker. Um, (laughs) But there actually is a Daniel Johnston song in Slacker, but um, Daniel Johnston himself is not in that film. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, so let's just jump into first impressions of the film. Yeah. I, I saw this film for the first time, like when it came out. Yeah. Uh, which is, I forget when. 2005. Okay. Yeah. So I, I my notes. Yeah. I saw this and probably like 2005 2006 Mm. um somewhere in that time i think i just rented it at a blockbuster because i thought the artwork looked interesting (laughs) and i'll say 
it was very interesting seeing it in the context of it of after him having passed because one of the first lines in the film is an old videotape of himself saying i am the ghost of daniel johnston yeah and it felt like watching it all the way through it could almost be a, like a memorial for him in a sense even though it was created while he was still alive mm. um so it was just a weird feeling watching it knowing that it almost seemed like it was inevitable or like they were creating this in a way to sort of show his art and show it in a good way in a positive light of what his life was like yeah like definitely definitely the hardships but like just an authentic look at his life because that's may have been the only time to have done it yeah absolutely and and that's like one of the things that really struck me too is like that part that you just mentioned, like, even though I saw it for the first time 10 years ago, I've seen it, you know, maybe like four or five times now. And it just takes on new meaning whenever the person mm -hmm. passes. Yeah. Uh, um, and the beautiful thing about this film for me is like, it really connected me with his songs. And, and you like, at that time, I was really into bands like Modest Mouse and Bright Eyes and like, you know, all of this, like, alt, you know, folk stuff. And and whenever you listen to all of those bands, like, early music, you hear so much of Daniel Johnston in that. Oh, there were so many bands while listening to, or because they played his music throughout a lot of the film. I was like, oh, my gosh, blah, blah. Or this band has ripped, not ripped off, but it was very, very influenced by his style. Mm -hmm. If you go listen to the first couple Modest Mouse albums, like, one time a Modest Mouse song came on, and I thought it was Daniel Johnston for a second and then I was like, know, yeah. And then I was like, oh wait, I think this is like the first Modest Mouse album. <laughs> yeah. Do you know that it's sort of a newer band that like doesn't exist I think anymore? But Youth Lagoon, his voice is like legitimately mm -hmm. the same. Yeah. Oh man, it's yeah. And I remember when I saw this ten years, you know, more than ten years ago now, in to the you know two thousand six probably. Um, I remember just being blown away. Um just by the sheer force that this guy was. And the music sometimes is like almost unlistenable. It's so bad. Mm -hmm. Like it's so terribly recorded, you know, but something shines through it that like really connects you with it. And I think, I, that, think... I think this film does a really good job of capturing that. Yeah. And you can see how vulnerable he is in his art. Like there's no filter at all. Mm. Um, so for me, I think what I really loved about the film was how they showed the relationship with his parents Yes. Um, oftentimes in films like this or in biopics, even though this isn't really a biopic, the parents don't play a really pivotal or like a positive role and seeing how much they loved him and how hard they tried to get him through all his mental illness issues and situations that kept arising and that they never gave up on him. Um, that was just very touching to see. And at the end, it's just sad because they're like, we don't have much more time because they know they have to be there to take care of him. And that just like broke me Yeah, and, watching. And that really like, I'm not 100% sure, but I'm pretty sure his parents are still alive. Mm -hmm. And so I, I remember like hearing that and being like, oh, there must be some sign. Like, it's kind of bad to say maybe, but, you know, like maybe there's some kind of like, relief on their side you know that like yeah 
that he doesn't have to like be on his own, I guess. Or what they were saying, yeah. What they were saying is when he lived in the house with them towards the end of their life, that the best part of their day was when he was still asleep mm-hmm. because they could got it's a it was a full time job. And the fact that I hope it doesn't give away too much, but he purposely plashed, crashed a plane with his father in it mm-hmm. and that they still loved him like that. It's just such a story, I think, of like unconditional love. And yeah, most parents, I don't think, would be able to make it through that. Yeah, and I remember they talked about how Daniel likes to go shopping all the time, and I actually saw Daniel Johnston play in Denver maybe in, like, 2008, 2009, something like that. And um, it was such a beautiful show. I just remember, like, he's in the middle of playing a song. He's like, oh, there's so many people here. There's more people than usual or something like that. And (laughs) (laughs) And everybody, like, the vibe of that show just being so, like, loving like everybody's just loving on this guy you know and but i remember seeing him before the show he was in independent records right next to the ogden because he played at the ogden and he had somebody with him that he was just like stacking cds in this guy's arms and just like (laughs) buying a whole bunch of stuff and i remember that's like one of the few times where i felt like oh it was like i saw somebody that i you know love their music or whatever and i just didn't say anything (laughs) Mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't say hi or great job or, you know, good luck tonight or anything like that. Um, and just being kind of like a little starstruck. Um, yeah. But yeah, that brought back that, that brought back those memories whenever the dad was talking about how much he mm-hmm. likes to go shopping or whatever. Yeah. Um, and so to kind of give people a overview of like what the film is about, it kind of starts out like talking about his, you know, beginning of his music and his childhood and like how he grew up and how his art started to come together. So he started drawing and there's all these characters that appear Mm -hmm. in his artwork over the years. And then, you know, he started playing music and, and recording his own songs on these like cassette tapes and then making films with like an eight millimeter camera, um, which all that footage is so beautiful and it's so fortunate that they had it for this film. Mm-hmm. That was one of my favorite parts too, was that it was all original footage and it's like his artwork was telling the story. Yeah. And the animations of his artwork mm-hmm. and like, you know, I know we talk a lot about certain styles of documentary, but sometimes whenever you do this style of documentary and you do it right, it's just so good. It comes together so it works. well. Yeah. I actually wrote that down and I think it lends like this classic format of documentary works very well for art related documentaries oh, totally. because I've even visually like it just put the artwork up and have someone speak over it. And it just like seamlessly works because you're just letting the art speak for itself. Yeah. And even whenever you go to the, the original footage that was shot, um, it looks so good. Mm-hmm. Like whenever they're interviewing friends of his, you know, they like, they don't always have them in the same like position. Sometimes they're standing up in their, you know, they're sitting in their kitchen. They're the parents are just sitting in their living room, and it all feels very intimate. Like people are just talking mm-hmm. while they're standing up in their doorway. Um, and I I thought that all of that stuff was done really really well. And then there are some scenes where they're describing things and they're describing the situation that happened and instead of having like reenactments they just have people talking about it while they're in the place that it happened yeah like whenever they're talking about the one lady who ended up being really scared by him and jumping out the window um 
you know, they're in that apartment, they're in the stairway and they kind of show you, you know, how it would have felt to be in that place at Mm -hmm. the time, but they don't have any people in there like acting out the scenes. It's just like the place and the description. And I think that's like such a great, uh, that's such a underutilized, um, Mm -hmm. cinematic device. And cause it, it involves, I think, the viewer. Like, you have to then imagine and interact, and it, it becomes closer to you by doing that. Yeah, absolutely. And then along the lines of, like, what we started out talking about with the um, talking about, like, a lot of the things that now that he's died, like, have such poignant meaning, you know? Mm-hmm. Some of his music, like, he has a song about um the funeral home you know like take me to the funeral home and um uh, i'm forgetting the words to it but just go look up funeral home song or i'll play it right here yeah funeral home funeral home going to the funeral home got me a coffin shiny and black i'm going to the funeral and i'm never coming back So yeah, that just like hearing it now, it just seems so, so many things just have so much more meaning. Um, And then this kind of plays into like with his decay. So he ended up being um, diagnosed with schizophrenia and he started becoming obsessed with the devil. And um, whenever he wouldn't take his medication, he would like act out violently sometimes and the movie doesn't really pull back punches. Like people were genuinely scared of him when he was going through these episodes. Um, friends of his were horrified and like, you know, didn't know what to do. And it kind of shows like the desperation that a lot of these people that really loved him felt. Because... And even his his family called the police on him. Yeah, exactly. Because um, he ended up like pulling a knife on like some of his family members saying that they were, you know, being possessed by the devil and... And, yeah, he just kind of ended up um, going after this kind of rise where his music was just starting to get popular. And there's kind of this theme of where he, like, it'll rise. And then, like, they even mentioned it in the film where, like, something, a bunch of really good stuff happens with his music and everything. And, like, the stress gets to him. And then he just has these, like, breaks, you know. Well, it's interesting because before he was diagnosed with schizophrenia, they also said he was manic depressive. Yeah. And it's interesting to see how, like, his life almost mirrors, like, not just mentally, but his life mirrors that sort of wave as well of, like, super high highs, super low lows. And it just starts to become a pattern that you can't, he couldn't really keep up with. Yeah, absolutely. But still, but, like, still made art in the meantime, which is, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's so interesting, too, because so much of his music was centered around these, like, 
almost such simple songs, you know, that are so like poignant in a lot of ways, like, uh, um, devil town, which I think they kind of end the film with is just one of those songs that always stuck with me. And, you know, it's pretty like, it's pretty like simple lyrics. Like, uh, I was living in the devil town, um, I didn't know it was a devil town. Boy, it really brings me down living in this devil town. <laughs> yeah. I was living in a devil town. Didn't know it was a devil town. Oh, Lord, it really brings me down about the devil town. And all my friends were vampires. Didn't know they were vampires. Turns out I was a vampire myself in the devil town. I was living in a devil town. Didn't know it was a devil town. Oh, Lord, it really brings me down about the devil town. Just little things like that. And they have so much behind them that just feels mm-hmm. like so raw. And and I think that that's something that gets lost in art where everything is so overly produced. And that's... Mm-hmm. That's what I love so much about like this kind of art that's just so like raw and maybe like technically terrible, but like um, conveys like so much honesty. There is so much. You're like you're saying there is so much honesty and like just realness and <clears throat> sorry. Um, what's I going to say there? But yeah, like you're saying so much honesty and realness. And I think because it's so simple, those emotions like are able to come out and it was hard hearing. So I think it's similar about his songs as his drawings. One of the therapists was like, you can, he has seen so much darkness. You can see it in his artwork. Mm-hmm. Um, and the same, if you really listen to his songs, like they seem almost a bit like juvenile in a way, but like in a good way, like juvenile, but simple. But then with that underlying, like really strong darkness that I think a lot of people sometimes feel but don't know how to like get out. And he does know how to like, I think get that out. Oh, absolutely. And it's funny. Cause like, I think there was a quote that said, I know Daniel's going to heaven because he's yes, already that been was to it. hell. Yeah. 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 And, but right after that, somebody like one of his friends is like, yeah, there's that. And then, you know, there's so much love and life and like goodness mm-hmm. in him. And like so much like genuine, you know, sweetness and, and happiness behind all that as well. Mm-hmm. And it's so funny because there's this part towards the end where there's a bunch of different photos and it's like one photo of Daniel looking really serious and almost like kind of scary. And then another one of him like funny and like, and it keeps going back and forth between these like side by side photos of like him mm-hmm. looking serious and smiling. And I think that that's like what, his life is to a like on the extremes you know but it's kind of like what all of our lives are you know it's like we're we're never just one thing and it's always hard to know like is your happy or is your low the defining point of you like which one is it but like with him as you can see it's both or like it's emergence of both yeah you know so 
some people mention that Daniel Johnson's music is like Bob Dylan, that it's better whenever other people do it. But mm. I, I disagree. I don't know. I like Bob Dylan's music better when he does it. And I like, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you could listen to like for either artist, like their music by them versus a different person. And it just, it brings something else out. It, it depends on what you're looking for, you know? Yeah. And I want the sloppy vocals and the weird yeah. stuff. So, <laughs> and all the, and all the feelings. Yeah, exactly. Um, it kind of reminds me of there's a Joan Baez cover of um, It Ain't Me, Babe. And, man, the Bob Dylan version is, like, so snarky and mean. Mm. And I just love it. Like, because it's yeah. just, like, it ain't, you know, you want someone who will die for you and more. Well, it ain't me, babe. And he's just, like, Phew. yeah. And then the Joan Baez one, she's, like, singing it all soft and emotional and i was like no this is a snotty song this isn't like (laughs) this isn't a sad song this is like a snotty fuck you song yeah (laughs) oh man yeah i don't know oh yeah he broke his brother's rib that's in my notes oh that it yeah he didn't pull a knife on him he broke his rib but then the the family was afraid to sleep at night because they thought that he was going to come kill them and, the the, and then there's a quote from like the mom or the dad. I don't, or maybe it was the, I don't even remember which one it was. One yeah. of the family members, there was a quote where he's like, we weeped like he was dead. So they already felt like they kind of lost their, their family member yeah. whenever he was going through all that stuff. But yeah, I still find it incredible how supportive they could be through like all of that. Like the fact that your son tried to kill you. And you're still keeping him out of the hospital because that's what's best for him, doing your best to, like, raise him and create, keep a supportive environment. Like, I don't know any, like, I have incredible parents and, like, they've been tested, but, like, that's a whole other situation. Like, that's, yeah, I think he's very lucky to have the parents he has, too. Mm. Or he had, yeah. Yeah, there's a few other things I want to bring up, too, before we head out. Yeah. We're trying to keep this one shorter. Um, yeah. <laughs> But we're already at almost 25 minutes. So. Oh, boy. Okay. Yeah. Five minutes. So I wanted to bring up uh, the story of Lori and how he, like, clung on to that story, mm-hmm. which was, like, this girl that he was in love with, and it was an unrequited love. And, yeah, and one of the one of the people in his life was saying that Daniel needed that unrequited love he needed (laughs) something to spark the creativity and that's something i've really felt in myself too like i used to write poetry i used to play music and all these things and like kind of once things in my life got a little more settled like it's harder for me to do that work so i had to find something else that like um inspired me which fortunately (laughs) for like nonfiction documentaries it's just like people's stories it's not about my own shit anymore you know like it's about like um you know just the process of making films and and you know doing this podcast is about like talking about films that affect Mm -hmm. me you know and etc etc and it's less about myself anymore and i think that that was something that like certain types of art need that kind of unrequited love and like this like character that he created in his mind of Lori and like what she was you know, there's that scene where he's just trying to get her to say, I love you, Danny. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it seems like for most of us, that would be such a short, you know, 
period in your life and you'd get over it, you know, over the next couple of years. But part of him like clung on to that story, I think, um, because he, he needed that for the creativity. Yeah. And I think that that's so interesting because I feel like it almost becomes like a myth at, at some point rather mm-hmm. than actually being a thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, I totally agree. I think he, he needed it. And you start like with anything. Sometimes it's nice having those what ifs because then you can live in it. And like the actual function of functions are like reality can't get it like infiltrate it. Like you can just sort of live in these moments, imagine what it would be like and create this like like for him, create art based off of it. And no one can tell you no in that world because it's not real. Exactly. I've come this far and I know I can make it. I've got a broken heart and you can't break a broken heart. I come knocking at your door. You don't love me anymore, but I just can't because I don't know what to do about it You must be wrong if you think you don't love me You could smile down and put a happy ending to my song I come knocking at your door You don't live there anymore Is it just a memory? got a broken mind and only you can relieve it I don't remember who you are are you someone that I saw cause I really am confused but I think that I still love you oh man and then there was another thing I wrote down where they mm-hmm. were the dad by the sign of the after the plane crashes uh oh my god there's the sign outside the church (laughs) and it said god promises a safe landing but not a calm voyage i think it's interesting how religion you know played such a role in his life Mm -hmm. you know and even became like kind of the root well not the root but that became like the dominant narrative of his psychosis you know and I think that that would mm-hmm. be true, you know, you'll always find something that'll, you know, perpetuate the stories in your head, but yeah, that became like such a focus. Um, Do you think that's though, because his childhood, his parents were quite religious and he wasn't? Yeah. I mean, I do and think so. It's so. like, yeah. it's kind of a 180 in that I don't know much about like the science behind what goes on in someone's brain when they start going into these episodes but like i wonder if he's like reverting back to being okay um all right yeah Uh, i have no clue (laughs) um so i'm wondering if he was like reverting back to being young or like the young brain and like that was a big part of his life and like was causing issues so maybe he's in some ways working through that or it's just taking over yeah. One of the recurring things that happens in this film is like whenever you keep going down these roads, like the MTV appearance that he had, you know, 
it kind of reminds me of okay this is gonna get kind of cerebral for a second Mm -hmm. like i don't mean to be like that guy but yeah there is a part and it kind of it connects with austin art because there's a part at the beginning of slacker which is richard linklater's first like you know it's his second feature film technically but it's like the first film he did with like a real not a real budget but you know on a bigger level anyway that's his Mm -hmm. breakout film and it opens up with like this dream um well richard linklater his character talking about this dream he had on a bus where he's like um every single like decision you make in your life you know splits off in all these different possibilities where you know maybe in this one you didn't get off the bus and then you you know, it ends up turning into this like whole joke, but it's like, you know, maybe if he would have just waited, he would be doing this thing. And then maybe he would have met this woman and like all this stuff. But instead, he's sitting in this taxi, but in this other dimension, you know, where he made the other decision, you know, he could have like met this woman and they live happily ever after and like all this stuff. And he's like, oh, shit, maybe I should have, you know, stayed on the bus. <laughs> and... um that kind of reminded me of like it kind of made that connection with me with like Daniel Johnston's life and all of our lives really. But mm-hmm. again, his is like in extremes because um, of what happened, but seeing him play at the MTV um, event and if he would have signed with a specific record label over another one, then maybe his career would have gone differently. And maybe if he didn't have the break, like right after he played on MTV, his mm-hmm. life would have gone differently in another way. And and it kind of just reminds me of this, like, you know, all these what ifs and all of these different, you know, possibilities and yeah. trying to come to accept, like, um, that we don't have control over that. <laughs> I was going to say, I like your point, but I agree most. I don't fully agree with it. And I like what you said at the end that we don't have control. Yeah. Because I feel like with him he made the most of every situation. I think got the best out of it all and was just such a go-getter. But because of his like mental illness, which was going to happen at any point, that's what I found heartbreaking about the film is this was going to happen anyways. His career, the fact that he's still able to have somewhat of a career is incredible. Um, Yeah. But that this was his fate sort of all along, regardless of what he did. And I guess that's what I mean by the joke in that film is because like, you know, Richard Linklater's character is talking about, maybe this could happen in this and this and this. And then whenever it all comes down to it, he made the decision to get in that car and that's where he is. And you just have to accept it and make the best out of that. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Okay. Then I do agree with you. No, totally. And that was a long way to get to that point. But like, there were so many times in this film, like, Oh man, if only, if only. And then you kind of have to like pull back and be like, first of all, you know, this is Daniel's life you know, why Mm -hmm. am I feeling like this? And then it kind of like brings up my own, you know, problems that I have with like Mm -hmm. overthinking every decision and every like thing that could have happened and trying to remember to live in the present and just accept like the situation that you're in. And cause that's what he, I think always did regardless was like, this is what I want. I'm going to do it. I'm an artist. I'm going to make art. I don't care what anyone tells me. Exactly. And like just would do that. Yeah. And look, I mean, later on down the road, he has like, you know, a hundred drawings on fucking notebook paper going to an art gallery and it all sells out. Sells out. Yeah. yeah. Now his art is going to be valued even more and he's going to be appreciated even more. Like, I don't think it's going to stop here. Yeah. And that was the thing is like, he could have gotten on MTV and maybe signed that other label and 
like sure it could have like turned into like uh you know being like more popular at the time but in some ways he really built like a legacy and a mythology Mm -hmm. and i think this film does a great job of capturing that even like yeah and this film this is like one of the first documentaries i saw that i was like it just felt like such a interesting film yeah and i remember like seeing all that b-roll and being like man why can't other documentaries look this good and like it's because he filmed it. Yeah. Well, no, even the stuff that the filmmakers did with like oh, the reenactments yeah. and stuff and the interviews, you know, yeah. like even all that stuff looks so good. Um, mm-hmm. And this film just has a, like a real honesty about it. It doesn't pull punches about the negative Mm-mm. stuff in Daniel's life and the bad stuff he did. And it doesn't glorify like mental illness either. Yeah. It shows like how devastating it is for the families and everything. And like, Cause that could have been, yeah, yeah, that could have been another thing too. Cause oftentimes it's like, Oh, are you manic depressive? You should be an artist. Like, and they'll really play that, but it's like, no, this was not in any ways helpful to him being an artist. Yeah. It it was like, he was an artist despite all that stuff, not like Mm -hmm. because of it per se. Yeah. And it just shows like the real toll it took on like his friends and family and all the people he affected through his life, you know, but also, also leaving like a strong, like story and mythology and so much art like a, mm-hmm. such a breadth of like songs and drawings and and like films about him and like films inspired by him and all of these things and and I think that like you know regardless of all of those what ifs I was feeling like you know um that's a pretty great legacy to leave behind <laughs> yes yes and I think for anyone looking, even if you know a lot about him, it's such a good film to like understand his life. Or if you don't know anything, it's a great introduction to sort of get into his artwork and yeah, what he was like truly about. Totally. And I, again, this is how I heard about Daniel Johnston. I was familiar with the shirt. I'm pretty sure I heard a few other bands covering his songs. Like I heard Bright Eyes do Devil Town. Mm. Um and I'm sure I heard a few others, but, and I watched the Richard Linklater movies that I, you know, heard him on never really connecting. But when I finally saw this film, I became a fan, you know? Yeah. Um, and I, I'm, I feel really fortunate that I got to go see him in concert, mm-hmm. you know, cause that was like one of my favorite concerts I've ever been to. So. Cool. Yeah. So I'm going to give this uh go watch it. Um, I think it's playing on Amazon Prime right now. Unfortunately, it has comer- like commercials on it. But... Oh, I paid. I had to pay for it. Oh, you did? I Because with my Prime, it was just like, it's only like $3 to rent. So that'll be my recommendation. It's worth the $3 at yeah, least. Yeah, I would say. I have it on DVD, actually, too. So uh, Yeah. Um, and... But like you said, it creates instant fandom, too. Like, I'm like, now want to go look more into him and like listen to his music tonight. Yeah. Yeah. There was only like maybe like, 10 documentaries I owned on DVD. Like now with digital and stuff, I've bought more, but back in the day, like I really never bought documentaries because I was like, well, I never really rewatched them. I never Mm -hmm. really rewatched them, but this film I bought and I remember I rented it first. I watched it and I was like, man, that was really good. And I ended up ordering it on Amazon just because I was like, I'm going to want to watch this again. And I don't regret that. So it's just a really good film altogether. And, um, 
yeah, we'll leave this podcast off with some uh, with some Daniel Johnston songs. So, um, yeah. Thanks for listening. Yeah. Uh, you can find us on Instagram at a documentary podcast. And our website at documentarypodcast.com. And you can follow me on Instagram at Joshua LeBure. And me at CMS Moments. And we'll see you in a couple weeks. Oh, wait, the yes. music is by usually by Timothy DeCans, but today is all Daniel Johnston. So go buy Daniel Johnston music. Um, watch go, the film. Go watch the movie and listen to our next episode where we are talking about California. Hollywood. Yeah, Hollywood. Uh, LA <laughs> plays itself and California dreams. Bye. Bye. Okay. Oh, I almost hung up. I was like, whoops, nope. <laughs> True love will find you in the end You'll find out just who was your friend Don't be sad, I know you will Don't give up until True love will find you in the end This is a promise with a catch Only if you're looking can it find you recognize you unless you step out into the light the light don't be sad I know you will but don't give up until true love will find you